This podcast is part of the National Archives Voices of the Armistice campaign, commemorating 90 years since the end of the First World War. Hear more voices at nationalarchives.gov.uk forward slash armistice. My name is William Spencer. I'm the Principal Military Specialist at the National Archives at Kew. Cab 45166. Translation of a captured German war diary. This diary, captured from a German officer, records his experiences on operations on the Somme in 1916. August 30th. The rain continues. It is now like November weather. Plenty of rain and fairly cold besides. The trenches are bottomless. The bottom, all shot to pieces, eagerly sucks up the water so that one always has to wade in mud up to our knees. The whole region through which once the communications trench used to run is kept continually under fire. The men are so exhausted that sweating and soaked they all but sink down and in addition every day there are some who do not return. What hardships the troops who have to lie in the trenches without any mine shelter have to endure. The foxholes, dug with good pains but without supports, fall in and men are buried. Standing in the mud up to our knees, we've got to hold out. The only good thing about the weather is that the heavy artillery has ceased, as no observation balloon or aeroplane can show itself. Accordingly, one can make up long arrears of sleep. September 1st. The English are taking their time over their attack. They're going to make certain, absolute certain, the destruction must be complete. We can't defend ourselves. It is impossible to rebuild what is daily destroyed. Behind their lines, the harvest is being gathered in. A large herd of cattle is pasturing. Long English columns pass by. Relieved infantry are marching along. People are hacking peacefully about. And all this within range of our own artillery. Our communications are cut, so there is nothing to be done. It pains and revolts me to such an extent that I no longer heart to observe. September 2nd, 1916. Today an order for relief came. At first we were to go back. Then suddenly it turns out to be only a change of position. The weather is not clear. Consequently, we have comparative rest until six o'clock in the evening. Then again, they fire like mad on our position. I don't believe in a respite. Rather, I believe that we should be moved near a Monkey farm. Now, come what may. September 4th, 1916. At last, relief from suspense. Yesterday, early at five o'clock, I lay down, and at six o'clock I'm awakened. Sir, there is an intense bombardment on our position. So, it is an attack. The bombardment increases in intensity. I immediately jump up to the observation point. There is nothing to be seen. Down again, up again, and then I see an Englishman in front of the wire. Out with you, they are coming. He comes alone. There is no one else. I remain up there in the raging sea, my ears bursting and the shells burst so near that it hurts my eyes. But still, it is a glorious feeling. One pays no heed to the dangers. 
One stands like that of the bow of a ship in a stormy sea. My eardrums nearly burst. After ten minutes' intense bombardment, I see the English breaking in on the right. Immediately we man two machine guns and turn the fire on the right flank, mowing them down. Then the English turn their heaviest artillery onto us. One of the corporals is killed and 50 others wounded. I lie with the English gun at the ready. Then more come on. It mows them down very nicely. Then the alarming news comes that the second line behind me is in English hands. I send forward a patrol, but it does not get through the English barrage. I remain sitting on the mound and watch where the shells are falling. It is impossible for the English to advance. Another platoon comes to reinforce me. I have lost seven men. At front, there is nothing to be done but observe. Toward four o'clock, I send out a patrol with orders to definitely ascertain what is in the trench. It comes back and reports that with the exception of the dead and wounded, there is no one there. Two battalions of the Duke of Wellington's regiment made the attack. Due to an extraordinary coincidence, they were annihilated. There was a relief going on to Ancre. The machine guns were to be there at 6.15 a.m., but arrived as early as 5.05 a.m. The relief was interrupted by the bombardment, and instead of four machine guns, there were now eight there. These mowed down the two battalions, and advance by the second and third waves of attack is no longer possible. The artillery is working in great style. Thus, the attack has been driven back, and the position has been cleared. In the evening, the 10th Company occupies the shell holes. The German wounded are brought in. I am dead tired and my head aches. I only desire sleep. At four o'clock in the morning, the English wounded arrive. They are bandaged and sent on. It is fairly quiet. 5th of September. Yesterday afternoon at two o'clock, we were relieved and came to the southern edge of Tibval Rigal. We are therefore now lying in the identical spot where we commenced this trench warfare. Here I am, living in a dugout with only one proper exit, and the neighbourhood itself looks absolutely indescribable. It is like this I picture the desert, the entire country without one green blade of grass, everything ploughed up by shells. The trees consist of scarred stumps, always more shells. In the line itself, no one knows for certain where the nearest opponent is. Every foot of ground is prepared for battle. One cannot move without a gas mask. Everywhere it smells of rotten apples to such an extent that one's eyes water and one's nose, also in sympathy, is affected. 9th September. The life here goes on from day to day. I'm living in a dugout with 50 men. The place swarms with lice and fleas, so hot that no Russian bath is required. Almost every evening there is an intense bombardment. Monke Farm is strongly encircled. 11th September. One gets accustomed to everything, even this position. I suffer most from the fact that I share a dugout with 60 men without any ventilation. The air is indescribable. When one comes from above, one gasps like a fish. It is so hot, after two hours, one wakes up in a bath of sweat. 13th September. I'm sitting at a table in a proper room in Marquion. 
12 kilometers north of Cambrai. We were relieved by RJR 77. It was high time. The men were so covered with lice and dirty that all would have become ill. The relief took place without loss. The neighborhood itself is very nice. There is even a stream here. This is bliss, but it only lasts seven days. 21st September. Now we are again sitting on top of the volcano. We are the garrison of Tipal. It seems strange after eight days of rest. Here I am again, once more covered with lice and feel as uncomfortable as possible. We are between two millstones, slowly being ground to pieces. And then you have the inflexible rule. No trench is to be vacated. Every inch of ground must be disputed. When you consider the fact that our line forms a small, sharp salient, and that the trenches are completely destroyed, owing to which one platoon is entirely separated, and with whom we have completely lost touch, that we have no defences, without any means of communication, and that one platoon has to man a double company front. One realises that it is a gambler's last throw. I am anxious to know how it ends. 22nd September. The superiority of the English airmen, and owing to them, their artillery is crushing. It is the airmen who make this offensive what it is, and they are really worthy of all admiration. But in spite of all, we must and will conquer. Today they carried out a relief in broad daylight. I watched it, and I could only clench my fists in vain. It's most disheartening. 25th September. Our commander is reported sick, suffering from gas poisoning. Accordingly, I, as next senior, take over command of the company. It is a dangerous position to be in. When taking over command, the most threatened outer defence of Tipal, which is being flattened by every means and from every direction. Lieutenant Kimmich's diary ends on the 25th of September 1916, with no further entries after this date. This podcast is a recording of extracts taken from records at the National Archives and is a copyright of the Crown, 2016-2017.